Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. What is going on, Bip Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, here in another edition of FN Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports' biggest issues today we got a special guest named zachary drays coming to talk to us he's from nuts and bolts sports he writes about the intersection of sports and culture and he wrote a great piece last week on the robert sarver consequences or i should say lack thereof consequences anyway he's here to help out as a substitute teacher and talk through all the things that went down and all the things that maybe should have gone down so without further ado let's jump on in with zach all right we are joined by zach uh, from the Nuts and Bolts website. I guess you wrote an op-ed for the Nuts and Bolts sports website. We have a number of things to get into, but Zach, how are you doing this Sunday afternoon? I'm doing good, Parker. How about yourself? I'm all right. I'm all right. You know, finding time between the WNBA finals and NFL Sunday and all those kinds of things to sit on and talk, but there's some stuff in the NBA that we just kind of have to talk about. Obviously, you wrote an op-ed about the Robert Sarver thing for Nuts and Bolts sports. Before we get too far into the piece and all the Sarver stuff, Talk me through, like, where is your writing typically? What is Nuts and Bolts? And walk me through your content. Yeah, so I've been writing for Nuts and Bolts Sports for about three years now or over three years now. And essentially, Nuts and Bolts Sports is just a sports website where bloggers and aspiring writers and already established journalists can go in and write articles about anything and everything having to do with sports. And for the last three years, my angle has been Uh, focusing on the intersection of sport, society, and culture, as well as history, uh, because that's something that really is in line with what my interests are. And so I've been doing that for the last three years. In addition to covering different sporting events, um, I cover the National Women's Soccer League for uh, Nuts and Bolts Sports, the Chicago Red Stars in particular, Um, I've covered college athletic events. I've covered the Olympic swimming trials in Omaha, Nebraska last year. 
Um, and so um, I do that aspect of it. And I like to write about, you know, the score and, you know, give you the highlights and do all that sort of stuff. But my big focus is on that intersection of sports, society, culture, social justice and history. And that's where that op-ed about Robert Sarver uh, really falls in line with that. Well, you mentioned last three years. Obviously, Sarver is the biggest thing in the last seven days. But there's been some pretty big stories in the last three years in at that intersection. Um, has anything stuck out as like a moment where like, I can't wait to cover that or a thing where you felt like, oh, my God, this is going to be something they're talking about in history. Whether or not like the piece itself is in history books, like the content, the, the subject matter will be in history books. Anything that stuck out over the last three years of covering it that was really like that was a big moment to talk about? It's hard to pick one out of so many because, as you just pointed out, over the last three years, there's just been a abundance of stories and angles that have been emerging in the world of sport where that intersection is hard to escape. Um, so it was really uh, hard for me. It's really hard for me to kind of pick out specific events that really have, you know, captured my attention over you know, so many of those stories. But what I will say is that the interviews that I've done with athletes who work in that intersection of sport and social justice, um, as well as other scholars and writers, I mean, Dave Zirin is one of my uh, greatest inspirations and someone who I uh, aspire to be like in a lot of ways, you know, being able to talk to him about uh, the book that he wrote, The Kaepernick Effect, last year. Uh, talk to him about that. Talking to athletes like uh, Gwen Berry, who is the Olympic hammer thrower, who, who's known for engaging in political protest and calling out uh, the Olympics on things like Rule 50 and, th and things of that nature, being able to talk to her and establish a, a friendship with her in that sort of way. So it's hard to pinpoint specific events uh, over the last three years, because as I said, there's just been so many, but I will say um, being able to talk to athletes, talk to other writers and talk to scholars and historians to get their perspective on these events has been uh, a great thrill and something that I look forward to continuing uh, to continue doing. One, well, I, I had to say in scrolling through your author page on Nuts and Bolts Sports, you have history pieces like Arthur Ashe, you have current event pieces like Brittany Griner, like you do cover a wide spectrum of this stuff. I do have to ask as a history teacher myself, was there something three years ago that got you started down this path? Or was it just like, you just kind of came about naturally or what three years ago seems like a very like, lots of stuff has happened in the last three years. So, so that's a very like concrete visual as far as like a timeline goes, what made you pick this avenue three years ago? Uh, I would say it's a combination of all of those things, you know, uh, kind of give you a bit of a backstory, you know, growing up, obviously, sports was everything to me, you know, and when I was growing up, history uh, was my favorite subject in school, social studies was my favorite subject in school, I would marinate myself in books and magazines and documentaries and all those things relating to sports history. And actually I'm somebody who wants to become a sports historian myself and you know get a PhD and become a professor and write and commentate and lecture about sports and history as it relates to that intersection uh, of sport and society. Um, and so uh, 
long story short, it kind of took me a while to reach a point where I could hone in on those skills and really find an outlet for myself. You know, I kind of had to really evaluate what it is that I wanted to do in my life. I had many different journeys, but something about the pandemic, ironically, where everybody was very much sort of self-containing or forced to contain really. And um, I, and, you know, just sort of reevaluate what direction their lives needed to go into. And that's when I, you know, I really want to continue doing this, make a living doing this, continue to pursue this. Um, and so it's just really been a combination of just like my longtime loves coming together, um, you know, took a while for it to reach a focal point. And it just so happened to fall during the pandemic, during the pandemic, and then obviously protests that were happening over the summer of 2020, which was obviously so much to write about, so much to talk about. Um, so I think, you know, it took me a while to really kind of come to terms with all that and to solidify what uh, what direction I wanted to go into. Um, but I'm on that track now, and I see myself continuing on that path to write and then eventually teach and commentate and uh, be involved in that intersection from a historical and present day perspective. Well, and we could talk for multiple episodes about just athlete involvement in the summer of 2020 and all mm -hmm. of the social unrest, protests, et cetera, that happened over the course of that summer. I mean, if we're talking history teacher, the summer of 2020 will have a number of different spots in the history textbook. Athletics may pay, play some small part in that. In, in regards to the last week, though, and trying to stay somewhat focused because we could go on and on and on, this Sarver thing may or may not be as big historically, but it certainly has felt very big in the last week. You wrote the piece saying that complete, NBA completely blew it. Um, you know, honestly, if, if I'm speaking with you, we graded it the night of on this show and I gave the I gave the consequences an F, right? So I was like, I also, I, we're on the same page here, but talk me through what part in your analysis did you really come to this aha moment where like, oh, they completely missed this? I think it was Adam Silver's response, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, who I do give credit for in a lot of different ways for facilitating over an environment where players and coaches have the ability to express themselves and to voice their opinion and to get involved uh, in matters of social justice and activism and, you know, civic engagement. Obviously, the NBA is going to be taking part uh, in the upcoming midterm elections by canceling games on election day. And then the night before um, promoting civic engagement, all 30 teams will be taking part in that in some way or another. But when you hear Adam Silver essentially kind of give Robert Sarver a slap on the wrist and said, you know, basically to the effect of, well, you know, he's evolved or he understands what he did and what he did was wrong. So therefore, this uh, punishment, if you want to call it that, is more warranted than a lifetime ban, which was given to Donald Sterling back in 2014. Obviously, Donald Sterling uh, who was caught on tape saying very racist things. Um, and the difference with that, I mean, there's some similarities there, but the stark difference is that in 2014 with Donald Sterling, it happened because there was the audio recording and then it also happened during the playoffs. And then there was also the threat that players would walk out. Um, so as a result of that, Adam Silver in his first action as commissioner replacing uh, the late David Stern, 
uh, issued that lifetime ban against Donald Sterling. And so, um, you know, and then when you look at Sarver's actions, it wasn't just saying the N-word um, five, on five occasions. It was also a very inappropriate um, uh, conduct with female employees and also with a male employee as well. And so when you hear Adam Silver essentially kind of give that slap on the wrist and not really getting into the, the specifics of it all, it kind of makes you wonder whether the NBA, who ostensibly, as I wrote, ostensibly positions themselves as a very progressive and forward-thinking league, you know, how can you say that, even if you're not saying that, you positioned yourself as that so how can you claim to be that and then kind of give this guy a slap on the wrist when looking at history, as I wrote, players and others have received far more severe consequences um, and they didn't and they didn't do anything wrong. Well, and what's it so that kind of segues me very nicely into kind of the stuff I was going to ask about next, because I was going to ask what do you want to resonate with people out of the piece? But one thing that resonated with me was it's not necessarily that $10 million in a year long suspension in the grand scheme of all sports is weak. I mean, we could argue about it being weak and I, I kind of think I'd like to see more, but in the grand scheme of the NBA specifically and the context they've built for themselves with Adam Silver as commissioner and, and really kind of his reign has been this idea of a progressive league, the, the bubble protest where they all set out, right. Those kinds of things don't necessarily, they may have happened under Stern, but they didn't. Right. And they happen under silver. And so it does feel like to me, the thing that stuck out about me stuck out to me about this piece was it's not necessarily that they failed in regards to any sport, but regards to the NBA, this is not who they said they've been. Uh, That's what I took away from it. Why I wanted to talk today. Is that what you wanted people to get? Or was there something else you're looking for? That's really what I wanted people to take away from that is that if anything, and I wrote about this is that, the, because the NBA positioned themselves to the degree that they did, that they are this progressive forward-thinking league, and that under Adam Silver's tenure, they have created an environment, a very open and freeing environment, where the players and the coaches can feel empowered to speak their mind and to get involved without the fear of retribution. Because of that, and because of that, um, sen- those sensibilities, and because of that structure, then that's going to warrant some greater scrutiny because people are going to hold you to a higher standard in a way that they wouldn't necessarily with the NFL. Like the NFL, obviously, and I wrote about this, you know, the NFL has, you know, positioned themselves as a league that seems seemingly, not always, but seemingly turns a blind eye to certain things. I mean, you look at, you know, what's going on with Deshaun Watson, for example, or you look at John Gruden, or you look at uh, Brian Flores, and we can go down the list. The NFL says they're going to do better, but then they repeat themselves, unfortunately, and it's the continuing conversation of when is the NFL going to get it together? And the NFL doesn't proclaim themselves to be holier than thou, at least uh, to the extent that the NBA does, or at least people's perception of what the NBA is, that it's this they're better than the NFL. They know what they're doing. They get it. They, they have it all together. So when a Robert Sarver comes along, particularly in an era of Black Lives Matter and Me Too, that's just not a good look. Completely. And what's funny is that, like, you could talk about the NFL and the Shield and those kinds of things. I think in any league, had any of this been caught on tape or had the public seen the audio or whatever, 
you know, back to the NFL thinking about like the Ray Rice video, like he got the two game suspension or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And then the video comes out, I was like, Oh, no one can touch him anymore. If any yep. of these events, him exposing himself to an employee, the sexist comments, the racist comments, the N word, if any of that had come out, it almost feels like the no brainer for the NBA would have been to do more, which feels weird. Like, why does it take concrete public evidence? <laughs> Zach, you're not in your head. Like, like what, why would that have changed this? I, I think because we live in an era of instant gratification and because we live on our screens, that the only way that we can get, uh, th- that the only way that we can have a means to an end or the only way that we can have a resolution is that if we see it happening in real time or if we hear it happening on tape, right? So going back to Donald Sterling, it took a audio recording for the NBA to institute a lifetime ban along with players forcing uh, or players potentially um, walking out and also was happening during the playoffs. And so, um, you know, and it kind of makes me think about other situations where, you know, we feel as though we need audio or we need video in order to believe some something happened. Um, and so it shouldn't have to come to that, but I think that just speaks to a lot of you know the era that we're living in where technology has a tremendous influence in our lives and that we seek out that instant gratification that you know we tend to believe that if someone isn't saying isn't caught with their pants down essentially on tape saying something in an audio recording or on video then there's that ambiguity there well, and we say caught their pants down. It sounds like that may literally have been part of what was going on. No, no, no pun intended. I guess that the interesting thing you mentioned a couple of similarities between this and Sterling. That's the natural connection. Um, both guys, I think, generally speaking, if you ask the other twenty-nine ownership groups, weren't big fans of Sterling. I don't get the impression guys like Cuban, Fertitta, whomever, are big fans of Sarver either. But there is this hesitation to vote to for- force a guy to sell a team because of the open Pandora's box, all of that. Another similarity I think that's interesting as we as we move into this a little bit is both teams have had star point guard Chris Paul on the team. Um, for yep. better or for worse, that's just kind of like another thing that guys had to deal with over the course of a long career with injury plague at the wrong time here. Da, 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 da. I mean, he gets drafted to New Orleans and then hurricane hits, like all those things, right? Um, he and LeBron in the time since you wrote your piece have started to speak out. Um, a, I want to talk about what you thought about what they said. And B, why are we always waiting for the players, the little employees, the workers like you and I? Why are we waiting on them to talk all the time? I know. Uh, well, first first of all, um, I applaud what LeBron and, and Chris Paul said. Um, I thought they really hit the nail on the head. And given their huge influence on the league, the fact that they spoke their mind on the matter and essentially – called out the the league. They really called out the league in such a powerful way, says a lot, um, and could potentially move the needle forward in a lot of ways. And so I think the reason why we wait on the players to step in and essentially clean up all all the mess is because we pay attention to the players. We don't know who the owners are. We don't know who the general managers are. We may know them you know, vaguely, or, or we may know them from a distance, but when we go to the game, we're not going there to watch Robert Sarver in the owner's box. You know, we're going there to watch Chris Paul or watch LeBron James. And, you know, they have a greater influence on, you know, the way we think, the way we, you know, 
talk about certain things. They can certainly move the needle forward. They have tremendous, tremendous uh, cultural cachet. And so um, it shouldn't have to be on the burden of the players to clean up the mess of the owners, you know, and that's what I said in the piece as well, is that Adam Silver and the NBA Board of Governors have to really get their act together and really have a serious evaluation as opposed to the players from the bottom up, um, you know, essentially trying to do their do do the dirty work for them. Well, and so can a player really do anything? I mean, they, they are the worker in this situation. They're the employee. Can, can they really do anything? I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, the, the one thing that I could think of that they could do, uh, which has been done before, which is, um, you know, in 2014 with Donald Sterling and then obviously in 2020 in the bubble, I mean, obviously it was a different situation, but it was the players collectively coming together and threatening not to play or they don't play in order to force the NBA to take a position and to take further decisive action. So that's one option that's already been proven very effective that they could utilize again, but I'm not sure of what other means that they could, that they could go about doing this. And again, as I said, and, and as I also said in the piece as well, is that it shouldn't be on the, the onus of the players to, you know, make things, Right. It shouldn't always have to be from the bottom up. It has to be from the top down. Well, and one guy you talk about from the top down, one guy at the top that could have some control over this is Adam Silver. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe it was after your piece was written that he got out and did his press conference, right? He did it the next day, I think. Um, mm-hmm. His press conference got, let's just say, a lot of buzz um, because at one point he admitted that there were kind of different rules for owners as there are for everyone else in the organization. Is that a troubling bad look for silver or is that just troubling because it's honest? Like, like what did you hear that and take away from it? I think, I think the one thing that I took away from that is it was sort of uncanny of Adam silver, I think, because again, just going back to who he is and what he has represented to the league and the way he runs the league in, in contrast to his predecessor, which was David Stern. And don't get me wrong, David Stern helped to build the NBA. If it wasn't for him and as innovative and as uh, creative as he was, the NBA wouldn't be a global juggernaut in the way it is now. So David Stern does deserve a lot of credit for that in so many ways for helping to grow the game. But anybody who played under David Stern will tell you uh, that, or a lot of players in the uh, who played under David Stern will tell you that he was very he ruled with an iron fist in a lot of ways, whereas Adam Silver is kind of more lenient and gives the players more flexibility to do what uh, he wants to do. And over his tenure, he has had a pretty, from what I could tell, a pretty decent relationship with the players, especially the players with big um, names like LeBron James, like Chris Paul, and being able to give them that flexibility to be able to say what they want, do what they want, and speak their minds. And so when I heard him in that press conference sort of going against his own perceived ethos, I just thought, you know, what is he tr- what's he trying to prove here? What is he trying to convey? And I would like for more elaboration on what he meant when he said that Robert Sarver gets you know, what he did and understands that what he did was wrong. For me personally, I would like for Adam Silver to explain more about what does that mean and how does he know that? Well, and frankly, you know, there hadn't been, 
there's been very bland statements. There hasn't been a whole lot of statement out of the Sarver camp that implies any sort of reconciliation, right? And I guess he has to do like three years of mandatory training of sorts or whatever, but like, I, I don't know how much a six-year-old dude that has gotten to where he has the business world is going to really be open to that kind of change. And I don't mean to stereotype and say no one over 60 can change. I, I just, he does not strike me as the kind of guy that that's going to change. Um, right. It's not, it's not just silver and response to silver though. Another owner in the group, because Sarver owns 35% of the suns and mercury or the combination of the two. So it's worth pointing out that there is other ownership and other people in the ownership group have spoken out about like, we may need to get rid of him. PayPal, the Jersey sponsor has, you know, talked about dropping them is, is it going to take that kind of pressure? Cause we don't know how much pressure the players can have besides just not playing. And there aren't games for another like eight weeks. Is it going to take pressure from those kind of entities or is there any way that this gets to the point where Sarver's like, fine, I have to get rid of this. I mean, it's possible. Only time will tell. I think it could be a combination of things. I think, you know, even though, as I said already, that it shouldn't be the burden of the players to make everything better, but the players obviously have a lot of influence, so they could obviously do whatever it is that they can do within their means to be able to, you know, potentially force uh, Sarver to relinquish his duties. But like you mentioned, the fact that the other minority owner of the Suns has stepped in and called for Sarver to give up the team. And then you have PayPal, who's one of the sponsors of the Suns and the Mercury coming out and saying that they're going to, um, you know, relinquish or disentangle from them in terms of a very formal relationship until uh, unless Sarver is out. Um, I think that could potentially move the needle just because of the influence that corporate America has. I mean, over the last three years, um, we've seen corporate America put themselves in a position where they have taken stances and or uh, the general public has uh, put pressure on corporate America to take certain stances um, on certain issues uh, and to make uh, and to take a position that's very clear. Um, so I think that could have potential influence just because of the stranglehold that corporate America has on our society. And then also with the money, obviously, that's generated from those partnerships. Um, but what really stood out to me was the fact that the other minority owner, I mean, when is the last time you ever heard, you know, essentially, you know, his partner and the partner in commands, you know, kind of step in and say, hey, you know, you need to let go of the team. This is not a good look. I mean, I've never seen that before. Well, and Sarver has 35%, which is my understanding that that's more than any one person or family has in the other people in this ownership group. So he's the majority owner by that far. But theoretically, there is 65 other percent. If they all got together, right, that would be 65%. And I, I did some quick math on that. You know, 35% of the Suns are valued at 1.8 billion. It's about 630 million. I'm about 630 million short myself. But I think like LeBron has that, like, <laughs> like there are other dudes with that kind of money. That is not unseen money. My, my, only, my last like formal question here, then we can kind of riff a little bit, but <laughs> I've got this conspiracy theory that this all happened in mid-September because there are no games until late October, right? The idea of a wildcat strike of sorts can't happen in mid-September. Or if it did, they would be missing training camp and practice or whatever. And how much does a team with Chris Paul on it, like they're really playing for June anyway, right? Um, do you feel like there was some intentionality about when the NBA released this because it was right the start of football season, you're well before any games, or is it just, that's just, you know, the way the cookie crumbled today? 
Uh, I mean, I haven't really thought about it in that sort of way, but I do think anything is possible. I mean, keep in mind that this investigation started back in November of last year. ESPN published a story that they were conducting an investigation into Robert Sarver's uh, actions and behaviors. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the NBA, as you said, you know, eight weeks left until the season officially starts. Um, and the players are in training camp, so there's not really much going on. Um, I think the, the the only thing that I could really come up with in response to that is suggest that maybe the NBA wanted to get this out um, as quickly as they can and to do damage control as opposed to it coming out in the midst of the season or at worst, uh, it, a similarity to the Donald Sterling situation when it happened during the playoffs when you know, all eyes are on the NBA at that particular time because the NBA, as far as the regular season goes, you know, people kind of keep up with it. There's not really that much focus, that focus on it until the playoffs come around, obviously. So I think the NBA wanted to at least, you know, get this out there um, and deal with the ramifications of it at a time when the NBA is not in full swing. So that's, that's a possibility that they wanted to do it when the NBA is not playing at the current moment, as opposed to them playing in the midst of the season or during the playoffs. No. Yeah. We wait till, I mean, if they were doing this in the middle of the Western conference finals in 2023 and you had like the Suns playing the warriors, that could, that, that, that could be a little, a uh, little different. All of a sudden you're, you're risking, people sitting out of another Chris Paul versus Warriors, but a, another big playoff game that would have been on everyone's televisions. A as I look at this, and you're a historian, so I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but 2014, you have Sterling. There was somewhere in between then and now, I forget actually what the exact year was, and it was nowhere near as egregious. It frankly felt more like classic top end of a major firm or corporation but the stuff that happened in dallas where cuban had to let some people go that he didn't know about but it was happening across the hall potentially or whatever right and then you've had this incident that's all been the last eight years now sterling and sarver both had incidents that trace back over like the previous couple decades but what can the nba or any of these leagues do to kind of keep this out of the top tier of corporations i mean i know they're going to force Sarver and the Suns slash Mercury ownership group to go through different diversity trainings and different equity. Like they need to just like blanket statement require that across the league. Like it feels like there are 30 teams. We've had three teams in eight years have something happen. That's not great odds, right? So do they need to be doing something or is this just the way corporate America is these days? Um, I, they certainly need to do something. I mean, obviously, you know, it can't be this continuous cycle where, you know, every now and then you have owners slip up and then they address it and then they say, oh, this is not tolerated. This is not acceptable. We don't stand for this. These are the ramifications. And then, you know, we learn we, this is a teachable moment, but then it certainly doesn't seem like a teachable moment because then it continues happening again. And this isn't just specific to the NBA, obviously. This is across the board in all different industries of society. So, um, yeah, they certainly, they do need to do something. Uh, what that something is, I honestly uh, don't know. Um, but they do need to clean house in some way. And if anything, uh, what I also wrote in the piece um, is that the NBA could take uh, could learn something from 
their sister league in the WNBA. Because if you recall in the summer of 2020, in the midst of the protests that were happening around Black Lives Matter and so forth, uh, Kelly Leffler, who was the um, at that time, the owner or part owner of the Atlanta Dream, and she was also the United States Senator uh, from Georgia at the time, said some very disparaging things about the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and the players uh, obviously got word of that and they weren't happy and they forced her to relinquish uh, her position uh, as part owner. Obviously, she was then, um, she lost in the runoff election to Raphael Warnock, who the WNBA players. Uh, actively supported in 2020. And then Kathy Engelbert, the commissioner of the WNBA, was in full support of the players and also of the ousting, if you will, of Kelly Leffler. Um, and they did that swiftly. They did that with no apologies. Um, and I think if anything that says is that you have to understand who you're working with. You have to know you know, who are your workers and where they come from and what they stand for. And if you want to create this environment where your workers feel safe and accepted and validated for who they are, not just for what they do on the court, but also for who they are as people, um, it should start there, I think, for the NBA, that they have to re remind themselves of who it is that they're serving, who it is that they're who they're actually working for. Um, so I think Adam Silver and the owners and the board of governors have to really clean house, get it together, learn from, you know, other leagues like the WNBA on how to properly address these things um, and then just really take it from there. And it has to be it can't just be a one time thing. It has to be an ongoing process where certain standards have to be applied and certain standards have to be upheld. Um, and there has to be greater, greater action. You know, you can't just say, you know, what Robert Sarver did was bad, but, you know, we're going to make this a teachable moment for him and we're going to give him a slap on the wrist and go through training. And then don't worry, he'll be back a changed man. But what if he doesn't learn from that? What if he, you know, repeats himself again? Are we going to continue being in this uh, cycle um, so if anything, the NBA in that regard has to, you know, really look inward as a starting point, I think. Zach, the league is going to continue to, I'm sure this is not done, right? We're recording on Sunday afternoon and there's a chance you're listening to this in a couple of days that something big has happened. Um, mm -hmm. where, where can people find you and your work? And the, I mean, you're interacting with this and many other stories in a very live action kind of way. Where can people find you and your stuff at? Um, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Obviously, follow, also Nuts and Bolts Sports. Uh, please, everybody, follow us on Nuts and Bolts Sports. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Um, you can follow me there. Um, my Twitter handle is at uh, Draves Zachary. Um, you can follow me there on Twitter. Um, on Instagram, you can look me up there. And I'm also on Facebook as well. Um, so I got a whole bunch of stuff uh, coming out pretty soon. So the work is never, never, never dull and never ending, but I love it. <laughs> For sure. And it's work worth doing, right? Work worth doing. Thank you so much for coming on today, Zach. Uh, and I hope we have some sort of resolution very soon. But, you know, if not, I'm sure we'll talk about when it happens. But thank you. Thank you so much, Parker. Okay, Parker. So the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. 
What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beers between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big dudes in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make bombs, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your bombs, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. Friends, after a couple episodes on the Robert Sarver subject, I feel like a little more caught up. Shouts to Zach Draves for helping us out and talking through the piece he wrote on the consequences. If you're looking for him, you can find him at Draves Zachary. That's at Draves, D-R-A-V-E-S, Zachary, Z-A-C-H-A-R-Y. He also writes for Nuts and Bolts Sports. You can find them on Twitter at Nuts and Bolts SP. That's where he has all of his sports and sports culture intersection content. Shouts again to Zach for coming on and helping us out and talking through all that tough stuff today. If you're going to find this show on social media, you can find us at F underscore N underscore sports on Instagram. That's at F underscore N underscore sports and on Twitter at FN sports two. That's F I N S P O R T S number two, all one word in both social media handles. You can go to the link tree in the bio and find all of our sponsors. That's the beer struggle. It's in the clutch.com, this Yeti and all those different things in the link tree in the bio. You can also find our merch store, which you can find all sorts of t-shirts, caps, mugs, and hoodies that give various amounts of money to various charitable causes when you buy them. The September special event is selling a Flunk Alzheimer's t-shirt. That's Flunk Alzheimer's because all money is going to the Alzheimer's Association, and September is Alzheimer's Awareness Month. Make sure you go grab a shirt and help us Flunk Alzheimer's at the merch store. If you're looking for me and my personal stuff on Twitter or Instagram, I'm at Painsworth512. That's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. I'll be sharing various losses on sneakers, talking about my Houston Rockets, doing a bunch of talk about college football and pro football season this fall. So make sure you go check me out. My picks are on tally site and those kinds of things, all at Painsworth512. If you're looking to help us out for free, you can do so by leaving us a five-star rating, leaving us a positive review, subscribing, downloading, doing it on a few different devices, and whatever you do when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.